second time adopted into various places. So as you can see today, we're going to eventually get to Europe uh, in, in, in this uh, message this morning. And as I was preparing this message, I was, I'm looking at primarily at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. But, but every now and then I'm going to skip into some church history as well and to see what God has done when people have grasped hold of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, while we're praying, I want to pray for the children and kids of Christ and the leaders there that they will have this incredible sense of you being with them. And Lord, help them to enjoy the time, but help them to learn about you and how, how to live out for you uh, in their day-to-day lives as young, young boys and girls and young people. Father, we thank you for that time. And for ourselves, Father, remind us of the truths that we know and how we can live them out day by day, but also how people have done it in the past in perhaps not so easy times as what we face. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the history of uh, the church. We thank you for the power of the gospel that we take with us. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would hazard a guess for those of us here today who are believers in Jesus, that we would have to admit that our lives are better now because we believe in Jesus. Now, some of us have grown up in Christian families all our lives, so we've heard about Jesus, and we've, we've received the blessings or the benefits of Christian parents. And so, for us, maybe it's not so much a dramatic change uh, when we believe in Jesus for ourselves. But for some people, it's quite a dramatic change from out of the, out of the uh, kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there's been significant changes in people's lives. But I reckon that my life is better today than when I first met Jesus uh, 50-something years ago. And why would that be? What? I'm not asking about my life, but why would it be better for your life uh, today than having known Jesus than it was, say, 50 or 30 or 20 years ago? Why? Any thoughts? Sure. Okay. So it's better because of that. Any others? Why? That should be the key, shouldn't it? That walking with Jesus day by day. We used to be an old song. Walking with Jesus, walking every day, walking all the way. I'm not going to sing that either. <laughs> you have hope, but as well as that, you can identify the darkness. And we know where not to go. Yeah. And as, as young Christians, we don't always appreciate that, do we? Uh, so it's a learning and growing and walking with Jesus every day. And Paul wrote this passage in Ephesians to believers in Ephesus to encourage them about the salvation they had. They were Gentiles, they weren't Jews, and to give them some timeline, if you like, for their salvation. Uh, and we're going to look at those timelines a little bit today in three very simple ways. And I trust that we can relate to it in our salvation as well where we've come from, where we are, where we're going to, because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And we're going to relate that a little bit to our church history in Europe as well. Oh, oops, not on. Okay. We were saved in the past. And in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we can easily remember what our past has been like. Some of us are finding it harder as we get older to remember some of those years 
uh, before. But we can remember, perhaps there was a time when I wasn't walking as closely as what I am to God today. We remember a time when God seemed distant, and it could have been because of our disobedience, our sin. It could have been our, because we had uh, put God into a box and we didn't want him into the rest of our lives. But we can remember that there was a time in the past when perhaps we weren't known, we weren't walking as closely with God uh, as we are now. And I hope that all of us have times, perhaps many of these times, when we, we sit up and take notice that God really wants to be active in our lives and Jesus wants to be our constant companion day by day. I trust that there are numerous times when that happens over our lives. But the reminder I'm sure that we're always given is that whenever we have communion, we're reminded of this, that Jesus has died for our disobedience. He's died for our sins so that we might draw closer to God and experience the wonder, the amazement, the joy, the, all those things about the life that God has given us for now and, to, and into eternity. I trust that that's what we'll be able to remember, that we were once more in darkness than what we are now as we come into life. For some people, they're in bad shape. And that could be your story. I don't, I don't know everybody's story, but your story could be one of bad shape where where you're constantly struggling with the lusts of the flesh and the, and the, uh, the pride of life, as the Bible talks about, and that's so easily influenced by Satan. And, and even though that may not have been your story, there are probably other people that you know now that are struggling with those very issues and that haven't come to that place where Christ is the one that can satisfy every desire, every dream, every heart. So verse 1 says, as Paul was writing to the Gentiles, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the ruler of this world and of the, of the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There may have been times in your life where that's your story. And it's certainly been mine that uh, we were doing things for our own benefit and our own selfishness rather than doing things because God wanted us to do them. That's the way we were all designed, isn't it? That's the way that's happened to all of us since Adam, that, that sinful disobedience na- nature has been passed down through Adam. And it's a, a direct contradiction with everything that God has for us. And that's everybody, us and everybody in the world. But God, in His grace and mercy, showed us through Jesus that He wants to have that personal and intimate relationship with us. We're not trying to serve or please God in that state. We're trying to please ourselves. And there are people probably around about you, like I said, that you know are living in that way. The good news is, the good news is, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of wrath. Sadly, God doesn't leave us in that condition. He doesn't want anybody to stay in that condition because he has provided for us. And we know this so well. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
it's no wonder that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. God ultimately wanted his creation, you and I, to come back into that place of intimacy with him. And so he sent his son. The Bible tells us that no one has any greater love than this. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, he laid down his life for his enemies. That we might be called his friends. Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, he told them about self-sacrificing love, about servant leadership. But they didn't know within days that Jesus himself would be hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of all mankind. This was done to provide salvation for us on the cross. When Jesus did that, over 2,000 years ago, he did it for our salvation, that we might have salvation. I want to skip to uh, ahead a couple of uh, hundred years to the time of the Celtic missionaries, or the Celtic missionaries. I keep on getting it wrong. It is Celtic, isn't it? Yeah, I, I say Celtic. Celtic missionaries. And last week we looked at St. Patrick and the influence that he had on Ireland. And um, let me see if I can do this. Yeah, okay. So up here, if you can see that little light, Down Patrick is the town where he actually died in and was buried in. But we saw that he was preaching the gospel throughout Ireland. Many, many churches, many, many monasteries and, and abbeys were, were developed in Ireland because people came to faith in Christ. It was primarily through the kings of that region in Ireland. If they came to faith in Christ, they publicised the Christian gospel to their, uh, the people in their, in their kingdoms and they too came to faith in Christ. The exciting thing, I don't think you see it very well there, but the red, oh, go back. The, um, this, this is a map of Europe and Ireland's here. And from Ireland, the Celtic missionaries went out to Scotland, to Britain, to France, to Germany, to Switzerland, even to Kiev in Russia, down into Italy. And if it wasn't for the Irish, we wouldn't be here today. I don't know if too many people would admit to that. But, um, but if it wasn't for the Irish missionaries going into Europe, you and I wouldn't have received the gospel today. They're a part of our history. Let me read you some of the stories about these Celtic missionaries and how, how they, they responded to the gospel of Christ. I'm amazed when I read these stories. One writer says, Out of Ireland they came, bearing Celtic names and breathing holy power. I want to live that way. Missionaries swarmed out of Ireland a long, long time ago in the 6th and 7th and 8th centuries. So it's that's 500, 600, 700 AD. They went to Gaul, which is France. They went to, oh, sorry, the, their names were Gaul, Columba, Fergal, Aden, and thousands more. Possibly we don't remember their names. But they were driven by a missionary zeal. They came east, reintroducing and reviving the learning that had perished whenever the barbarians had gnawed the bones of the Roman Empire. So they went into Europe because at the time of the Celtic missionaries, the Christian message in Europe had been invaded by the barbarians that had come over from the east. And so all the stuff that had happened around the time of Christ and soon after was, uh, was uh, sadly forgotten. 
even though they might have had some practices, there was no reality of the power of Christ in what they were doing. And many people took up the barbarian ways and lived selfish lives once again. Europe was enriched by the influence of these Celtic missionaries. Someone has said that the Irish built monasteries, sent out missionaries, converted the heathen, and uplifted and improved the life of the average person. Wherever they went, Irish missionaries brought a Celtic spirit, haunting Irish hymns, delighting natural beauty, a craving for seclusion, and love of adventure. That's what I want. Are you a love of adventure sort of person? Where's our four-wheel drivers and fueled up the world? Are you a person that likes the ascetic lifestyle, being on your own, secluded for a while, the same back here? The delight in natural beauty, the haunting Irish hymns. I don't know about that, but uh, some of us love some of the old hymns. But that's what they took with them because of what Christ had done in their lives. Listen to this. I didn't know this. They went out in groups of 12, just like the apostles did. So they thought that there was safety in numbers, and there was on occasion. At times, other Christians had gone before them but had not really had much of an influence. And certainly after the barbarian attacks on the church, even Italy, the centre of Rome, even Italy was in crisis. It was in a sorry state. Listen to what these missionaries had to go through. And it sounds like today, some of the things they went through. They pushed through Europe's wilderness and forest and swamp and savage tribes. They were the David Livingstons of their day, if you like, a few hundred years before him. But they were even more successful than he did. He was. They built monasteries at Iona in Scotland, and that's up on the west coast up here, at Lindisfarne on the northern eastern side of what we now call England, and uh, also Glastonbury down in the southern area of England here. They built monasteries, and I've got a picture here of what the monasteries were like in some places, not every place. But they did it for the glory of God. They did it for the benefit of the people. They did it in the power of the gospel. Now, some of us don't know this about church history. And some of us write it off because they did it under the title of Catholic. But they did it because God wanted it. And what they taught as they went and did as they went was to see people come to faith in Christ. Faithful Irish missionaries converted a continent in the longest sustained missionary drive of history. Amazing. 500 years or so. One of these guys was Columba. I think I've got a picture there of Columba. And he went to the Iona Monastery, which is still there today. The picture is fairly modern. They didn't have dress like that in those days. Um, It's on the island of Iona, which is New Hebrides. Is that correct? In western Scotland, I think it is. Yeah. And he went to the cross in those days who were called Crickets. And he went there from a, with a call from God because he'd heard of some of the killing and the murders and the deaths that had gone on between the, the warlords in Scotland. And he felt a passion to go in and tell them the good news of Jesus and the fact that every person is valuable in God's sight. And so that's the mission he went with. He went and he established the um, monastery there and then he also helped to establish monasteries around the rest of uh, Britain at the time. Who would do that if it wasn't because Jesus was working? There was no sense of power. There was 
emergency. Ego, although we've heard, I'm sure you've heard of some really bad occurrences in some of the monasteries over the years. But for this guy, Columba, his heart was for God and his heart was for the people. He was saved. That was the point of his salvation. And what about us? What are we saved for today? We're being saved today. It's, it's not, a, not something that's happened in the past. It's something that's an ongoing fulfillment of salvation for us day by day. And Paul writes about that. He says it in verses 4 and 5. He, we are being saved so that our condition before God will continue to change. Our condition before God will continue to change. But because of his great power, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. God provided a remedy for that sin sickness. God provided a remedy for that disobedience. And that remedy is available today. Continually available for us and available for anybody who will recognise God's love for us. Romans chapter 3, I'm sure you know this passage. Verse 22 to 25 says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood and He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance and patience He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God is a merciful God. He has provided the remedy for the sin sickness. And that's what they were taking with them, the Celtic missionaries. That remedy for sin sickness. In mercy, God gave, did not give us what we deserve because of our disobedience, which was wrath, which was separation from Him. He gave us something that we didn't deserve, and that was Jesus on the cross. God did it because He is a good God because he loves his creation, even when his creation turns their backs on him. So what was the story there? Jesus became the payment for our sin. And John said it to us. He said in in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, in one of his letters, that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, the payment for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, that is true, but most of the world doesn't know it. That Jesus died for the world. Most of the world doesn't know it yet. And that was the motivation of the Celtic uh, priests, the monks, as they went into these places where no one had been up to that point. We were dead in our sin and disobedience, but now we have life. This is not new news. This is great news. And sin was going to divide us from God, but ultimately God provided the payment for that sin. We know Verse 5 tells us that Christ has made us alive even when we were dead in our sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Oh, that's 2.23. Put the wrong one in there, didn't I? 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are verses that we can remember and uh, remind ourselves of regularly. 
The good news is that we are now children of God. John 1 says that. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are now children of God because we have accepted God's gift of eternal life through faith. God raised up Christ and, 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 and seated us with him in the heavenlies. On my driver's license it says that I live in Queensland, I do. And the citizen of heaven, what about you? This is just temporary, isn't it? This is where God wants us now. But ultimately he wants you to fight as a citizen of heaven. He's raised us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There's an inheritance waiting for us. 1 Peter tells us there's an inheritance waiting for us. Verse 3, uh, chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. I have a suspicion that there's not going to be any combis in heaven because they rust. Stuff. But when we get to heaven... I can't wait to see the mode of transport that God's got for us there. Beam me up, Lord. Let's go. Let's go anywhere with God. I hope that you're assured today that God has been gracious to you and he has changed you now for the future. Our future looks brighter because of what Christ has done. And the same for the Celtic missionaries. They went to difficult places. This is a picture of a compound that they would usually set up in one of the places they went to. And, and for us who are Protestants, who probably haven't looked into the historical background too much, they would set up these Irish monasteries, sort of like our concept of mission compounds. You know, there's, in this one there's the, uh, the church in the middle, the uh, uh, leaders or the monks' places on the outside, plus living quarters for the people. And then they had their fields around the outside there. So this is a, a typical sort of way that they would go into an area and they would meet the people where they were, help them to provide for themselves, but also teach them about the love of God. These monks were missionaries and they renounced marriage in order to carry the gospel so that people might see a new light, the light of Christ. They were not slackers. They didn't loaf around. They were busy people. They were hardworking they were rigorously disciplined, zealous to reach souls for God's kingdom, ready to confront any danger and happy to lay down their lives as martyrs. They suffered for Christ wherever they went. The common folk flocked to them. They saw that these people had something that they could learn from or they could learn from. Sadly, one of their aims of, um, of uh, solitude wasn't always the case because people would flock to them wherever they would go. You can imagine these 12 guys walking down the road in their monks' garb. They might have had a shoulder bag or something like that. They tend to live off the land and live off the generous, generosity of the locals. But they had a story to tell. And from what I've read, the first story that they told was not how you can plant your crops better, not how you can get more out of your fields, first story they told was that God loves you and gives you life. And people responded to that. The history books tell us that there were conversions in the thousands. 
course, these monks went to places that were out of the realm of possibility. They went to places like Iona, which is an island off the coast. They went to places like Lindy Farm, which is, is, is off the coast of England. Isolated, rocky outcrops, and that's where they built their monastery or their abbey. And that's where they invited people to come for education, for health issues, but mainly to hear the, to hear the gospel preached, the good news of Jesus. Some of the kings in those areas became Christian and, and uh, declared that the whole realm would be Christian. And they actually um, supported the missionaries in their ventures, uh, both financially beyond their own kings, their own country. There was another, another monk called Colin Bannis, and he helped to establish, this is just a model, it's a, it's a rebuild, a model of this monastery in southern England. I look at that and I think of the construction techniques required, I think of the materials needed, but I think of the willingness of people to do it. And so the labourers around about would spend their time in the fields doing what they had to do during the day, come in and help to build this monastery. We might think that's excessive, but in those days there was an attitude of respect to God. They were building something for the glory of God. And so people could come there, hear about Christ, and many people were sent out from those places to tell others about Jesus. You'll see on this map there's uh, two colours, red and blue. The blue is the places that the Celtic missionaries went to, but the red is uh, places that some of the British missionaries went to. So some of the churches that were established, as, as far as the Celtic churches go, were established in Britain. And some of the monks from those went into places in northern Europe, whereas the Irish Celtic monks went into central and southern Europe. Seventy monasteries were built by the Celtic monks in Europe. And there were others in Germany. Amazing. That's what their salvation was due to. They were saved and called. What about us? What about us? God's got a plan for us. Ephesians tells us we were saved in the past. We are being saved today and we will be saved in the future. Verses 7 to 10 tell us that from the time we accept Christ, we are children of God. We are part of the bride of Christ and God has a plan for us. Verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might, we might show, he might show the comparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God demonstrates his power, he demonstrates his patience and his long suffering. Some of us take a little bit longer to get it. Some of us need a few taps on the shoulder before we hear what God is saying to us and are obedient to what he says. But God is patient. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Sometimes we're more impatient than is God. Sometimes we're praying for our family or our loved ones or our friends and we want them to come to Jesus now. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. We need to be praying that it's happening on God's behalf. And we pray for their protection. We pray for their open ears. We pray for their open hearts and minds that they might hear it when God calls them to him. 
We need to be aware of the change that God has brought in our lives with the gift that he's given us in our salvation. His grace has saved us. His faithfulness strengthens us. We couldn't have done it on our own. The Bible tells us that. We can't earn our own salvation. It's through God's grace and mercy. What does uh, verses 8 and 9 say? For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do we live that way? God has done it all. It requires our obedience, yes, but God has brought about our salvation. And that's the thing that we celebrate when we come to worship God together. Even now, there's nothing that I can do to keep that salvation. There's nothing that I can do to earn that salvation. It is God alone who keeps us in the palms of his hand. What does 1 John, what does, uh, um, I'm going to go a little bit this morning. Sorry about that. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. For we are safe and secure in God's hands. Verse 10 tells us that we are created for something. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I need to be willing to be God's chosen, God's workmanship. I need to surrender and say, yes, Lord, keep on working on me so that I might become a new person in him and I might walk according to your will. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Paul writes, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't know about you, but God's got a fair bit of work to do on me when it comes to that regard. I'm happy to be his project and I'm glad that he hasn't given up on me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God's still working on me and he's still still working on you. I want to finish one last story from the Celtic missionaries. And this is... uh, towards the end of their time. And this is what it says. When a fire has burnt low, wood undercut by burning will often drop down and send up sparks and a renewed flame. In the same way, the Irish, after their day was passed, flickered once more into flame and sent missionaries after the year 1000, as far east as Kiev in Russia and as far west as Ireland. So this Celtic missionary movement only lasted for about three or four years, from 500, 600, 800 AD. And then it sort of faded a little bit. But like that statement says, there is this resurgence in the hearts of the Celtic monks and took some of them to Kiev in Russia and some of them as far as Iceland. Civilization as we know it, Christianity as we know it, I believe was saved in the name of Christ by these people who were willing to go. They knew that God hadn't finished with them yet. That he had still had things for them to do and he still had, had to show them more of his grace and mercy in their lives. What about us? We understand more 
the difference that Christ has made in our lives. Thank you. We can see that we were dying without hope for some of you. Then Jesus broke into our world and saved us and put our faith in him. Stopped us living in our pride and held you to surrender our lives to him daily and to hope for the future that he has prepared for us. I wonder if there are people that you know that don't have any concept of hope. They don't know that they're in the battle. They don't know that there's a way out through believing in Jesus. They don't know that God has an eternal plan for their life. Dare we put on the mantle, as it were, of the Celtic witches and go to places, go to people that might be a bit scary, might be a bit distant, might be a bit rough, with the good news that God loves us. Just as he loves each one of us. Certainly the gospel came to Europe. And I believe that we can trust this word. That if we confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. How often do we have the opportunity to share that with people who can trust in that name? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that reminds us that our salvation is secure, has been, is, and always will be because of Jesus. His willingness to sacrifice his life for us. Father, help us to be humble, to be willing to surrender our lives to you and to do whatever you ask of us. We thank you for the example of the Celtic monks and witches who went to places which would have been considered the end of the earth because you gave them a passion for people and a passion for your gospel. Thank you that you empowered them to do that. Father, I pray that you continue to raise up people, whether it be here in our uh, town or our area, that hear your voice to, to go and to serve others and to take with them the gospel of Jesus wherever that might be in our world. Perhaps it's just down the street. We thank you for the blessings that you give to us because of the salvation that we know. And we praise you today. In